Hey, Kevin here, Skylabs, bringing you another video. Definitely gonna be a fun one. This is a little bit unusual for what we like to do in that usually these Ask Kevin questions we save for an off day, but we kind of bit off more than we could chew this week and weren't able to get a regular Sunday video done. We've got a couple really interesting things coming up in the next couple weeks. We just went down and hung out with Chad Kassam at Acoustic Sounds, and I am still just kind of blown away with what we experienced. He really gave us the, uh, the Velvet Rope tour and let us go into all the nooks and crannies. So that video will be coming out soon. Appreciate all the people that did submit questions. Again, this was a great round of questions. There's some really good ones. I haven't even read through them all. So um, this is gonna be really off the cuff and um, hopefully a good time, so. And the first question, uh, let's see. Online, there's always been a debate on what is the best slip mat material for turntables, in your opinion, and does it matter as much as people say it does? Um, okay, so that one real quick. Um, well, I, I think it does. You know, if you're a DJ, you want a felt slip mat so that the record glides on that felt mat. I think that's the whole point of a felt mat is for DJing, or if you just want something to look cool. With the acrylic mat, I love the fact that they're really cleanable. You know, it's not a porous surface, so it's really easy to spray down with a cleaner and give it a wipe, that type of thing. And then the um, anti-static properties are great too, and that, you know, they're not gonna build up static electricity. And anything with static electricity on it, you know, dust and debris and everything else clings to it. I know some people, don't like uh, the fact that it's such a hard surface but i think as long as you're powering the turntable off at least the rotation of the platter before you change out your record um, i don't see how that makes a difference and then obviously you still have cork and rubber um, rubber is good if it's thick because it will dampen some of the ring of a thin um, platter so that's got a nice property to it. And, and the reality of it is I probably, I'd probably pass on a turntable with a really thin aluminum platter and therefore I have no need for a rubber platter mat. And then cork, I'm not a big fan of cork mats. I just don't like the look of them. I know a lot of people swear by them and maybe there are some benefits. However, unless there's gonna be a huge difference I tend to buy things for the way they look because that still plays a big part in in what I use and what I like. And I know that's not a reason to buy something for audio purposes, but unless it's going to have a huge dramatic effect on it, I'll I'll give it I'll give looks a little bit of um, of a deciding factor in what I'm using. And I like the looks of acrylic, so. That's usually what I use. All right, now this is a fun one. Um, okay, so what's a piece of low-end gear that really impressed you? Um, he picked up a sound design cassette deck player for around 15 bucks. After a few days of cleaning, it sounds great. Um, well, okay, so I, well, I've heard a lot of really inexpensive speakers that honestly sounded pretty dang good, a lot better than I thought they would. Um, I don't remember any models off the top of my head. 
but I have picked up a few of these, uh, what are considered kind of tri-fi um, tube amplifiers, and I've been really impressed with those. That's why we're gonna be doing a couple videos about them coming up here soon. You know, I, again, you know, if you're looking at, you know, the difference of, let's say your sound design that was maybe, you know, $150 brand new for the, the whole setup, and you're comparing it to a stereo that was maybe $300 um, brand new back then, and you're, you know, it probably does sound pretty good. You're not, that's not a big jump in quality there, you know. Diminishing returns with audio equipment kicks in pretty dang quick. You know, going from a $1,000 amplifier receiver to a $2,000 amplifier receiver, there's not gonna be that much of a difference there for the most part. So it doesn't surprise me as much when, you know, you get an entry level piece. A lot of those entry level pieces, they're cutting corners in other places besides the sound. You know, it, a lot of a lot of the, the price tag comes down to the quality of the finish, the fit, the design, all that, kind, you know, the advertising budget, all those things. And it really doesn't translate to, you know, you spend a thousand dollars, you get this sound quality, you spend $2,000, you get double the sound quality that that doesn't exist. So I guess I, I'm, I'm never shocked when I hear a, an entry level piece of equipment that sounds really good. Um, because a lot of it sounds really good. Why is running A and B speakers together looked down upon by audiophiles? Well, it's no different really than uh, the EQ or changing the sound of things. Technically, when you put two sets of speakers in the room, you are, you're almost a speaker designer at that point because the designers of those speakers did not intend to have another set of speakers playing at the same time. So you are essentially becoming the creator of a new product. Now, whether or not you like that new product, that's up to you. You know, audiophiles don't like a lot of things, but as soon as you start dictating what you listen to because of what they say, you've already failed. Um, you know, it's nothing I do. I prefer having two speakers and listening to what real speaker engineers came up with. Um, for what sounds good, I trust them. They know more about speaker design than I do. And me grabbing another speaker and throwing it in and thinking that I'm going to improve it um, is just probably not reality. Now, there's nothing to say that I couldn't get lucky in one out of you know 50 combinations. I might find some magical combination with my room and those four speakers. I'm not saying that but I think you have a bigger chance of introducing a lot of phase cancellation and other problems by adding another set of speakers into your room than you do the possibility of discovering some magic combination. So don't listen to the audiophiles. You know, if you like it, love it, who cares, you know? But um, yeah, it's nothing I'm interested in, but that doesn't mean anything. Just like what the audiophiles think. Also, we just got our new limited edition black tie-dye t-shirts in. Head over to skylabsaudio.com forward slash shop. Grab one of these shirts before they're gone because they will be gone 
like I said, we didn't really get that many. Uh, these are double-sided. It's got our large Skylab star on the back, and then on the front, it's just got the logo. So um, we've got them in large, extra large, and extra, extra large. So for all the people out there that are lucky enough to wear a medium, sorry. Uh, we just don't sell a lot of mediums, and that's why they're not available. So why do so many sellers say works as it should? instead of just works seems a bit shady to me uh actually no um i i think i understand why and that's because a lot of times we have people come in let's say they bring in a receiver and they say it works so i put speaker cables on it i turn it on and i don't get any audio out and this happens and i'm not kidding this happens more than you might think it would more than i thought it would um, and I don't get any sound out and I'll be like, uh, what do you mean this works? I'm not getting any audio out of it. And they're like, oh, um, I guess I didn't try it with speakers. I just, you know, it powered on. And so I think that's why people are starting to say it works as it should, because what they're saying is, is it doesn't just light up, which is what a lot of people assume is working. And it's, it's insane because you're right it is lighting up and if that's the only intention of that piece of electronics is to illuminate then yes they're correct it works but most people that buy stereo equipment they want it to produce audio as well as illuminate so it might seem silly but when you start dealing with people buying and selling things a lot you realize that um some people's assumption of the word works is quite different than other people's. It's like when people say refurbished or fully refurbished, that's even better because you'll see that a lot where they'll say, you know, um, Pioneer 1250 fully refurbished. And then you call them on the phone and you say, oh, cool. You know, it was fully refurbished. What was done to it? And they'll say, well, you know, um, you know, we blew it out with the air compressor and we cleaned the pots. And so that's fully refurbished to them, where that is not fully refurbished to most people, you know, and fully refurbished is a completely vague term. There's no definition of fully refurbished. So I think when somebody's being extra descriptive, like the person saying works as intended, um, they're just kind of covering their bases a little bit. You run into some interesting people, um, when you when you run a business and you buy and sell a lot of things a lot of people are shady but i don't think saying something works as intended is shady and i'm just going to kind of summarize this one but i think the gist of it is um, i'd like to hear your thoughts on putting together a system and if you prefer sticking to a brand or color or think it's better to mix and match and since you're just asking for my personal opinion, this is strictly just going to be uh, my personal opinion. And that is, I think some things I like matching and other things I don't. You know, there's some things that I'm not going to sacrifice matching for. And mainly that's speakers. Companies that manufactured speakers didn't manufactured equally good amplifiers or uh, turntables or whatnot. That's just my opinion on it, but 
you know, when I think about the brands that I really like for speakers, that's really all they did. And there are a few um, amplifier manufacturers that did make a few good models of speakers. I guess at this point, because I've experienced so many speakers that I guess I'm kind of a speaker snob. And so brand matching, it doesn't really do anything for me. It, it has to stop at some point already because of the speaker problem. If I only had one stereo system and I could only pick one brand, um, it, there would be compromises in order to make that happen that I wouldn't do. So. I'm a fan of old school receivers, uh, be it two channel or quad. What are the advantages to having an integrated amp over the aforementioned, I mean, I barely graduated high school, aforementioned receivers. If you want the best AM FM receiver out there and the best amplifier and preamplifier out there, most likely they're not going to be in the same box or the same chassis, you know, if that, cause that really is really the big benefit to having, you know, separate components, being able to get a really good Kenwood tuner and put it with a really good Yamaha integrated amplifier. So you're getting, you know, what a lot of people considered maybe the best tuner and you're putting it with what a lot of people would consider the best integrated really with a receiver you're just kind of limiting your choices but you know there's a lot to be said for that there's less cable management you know you've got one unit everything's built in you just have less components and it's more consolidated and easier to just put on a shelf um, i don't think there's much more to it than that personally do class D amplifiers sound different than class AB amplifiers? If so, how are they different? Most of the new stuff is coming with class D amplification. I am new to the field, but I am debating which kind of amp I should buy. I like rich bass sound. Um, yeah, I definitely think they sound different, but you know, there's some big things to take into consideration here. You know, class D has gotten a lot better. There's no question. Um, but you know, are we, are we talking about a $50 class D amplifier or a $5,000 class D amplifier? Because that's two totally different things. And the same with the same could be said about AB uh, topology. As a general rule, I think class D amplifiers lend themselves to fast bass. Um, they they've been known to sound sterile and boring, but that's changing. And once again, the price of that changes everything. You know, it all comes down to price. I think you can get good, rich bass out of a Class D amplifier, and I think you can get good, rich bass out of a Class A, a B amplifier. And, um, but unless, unless you've got a couple models in mind, or unless you've got a couple price points in mind, there's, there's just no way of, of answering that, so. What are your favorite hot mix vinyl pressings? Boy, I don't know if I've got a good answer for you on that one. Um, I had a Robert Ludwig Zeppelin II. It was in really bad condition, and I sold it. I maybe shouldn't have sold it. Um, but I don't know of a lot of hot mix vinyl. I don't really... That's not a really big deal for me. I don't mind 
I would rather the pressing be really good and quiet um, than be a hot mix because I've got enough amplification that I can make any any source as loud as I want it to be. You know, as long as I'm not having to put a ton of noise into over amplifying. But for the most part, I think the majority of records are cut at a reasonable rate that any decent amplifier can get you as loud of a as loud as a result as you want. So um, I I don't I don't look for hot mixes, I guess. It's just not something that I care about. All right, I think we got a couple quick ones here. Um, uh, do you recommend slip mats on, on vintage turntables? And we I already answered that one, but he, he says, um, uh, same question for record weights put on top of the record. And some people will come at it with an angle of it helps flatten the record. And you'll see other people talk about how it's kind of like making your record a one pound record, however much the weight of the, the record weight is. So like, you know, when you have a 120 gram record or 180 gram record, the, the assumption is the 180 gram record is better. And I use a record weight on all my turntables and it is for no other reason at all other than I think it looks cool. And that is the absolute truth. I don't think it's helping hold that record down. I don't think it's helping keeping that record flat. I don't think it's changing the sound um, of the record because it's got that weight on it, but I think it looks cool. And that's it. Um, and again, there's probably um, 50 other people that will give you a completely different explanation to that, but um, I don't know. I guess I've never been in a room that is so well treated with equipment that is so well perfectly placed that I think I could be able to tell the difference in sonic quality between a record playing that has a weight sitting on the middle part that not even the play surface, but a middle part of the record and one that doesn't. And I could be totally wrong about that, but, um, I don't think so. All right, my camera's bitching at me, telling me the battery's gonna run out. Um, appreciate everybody that submitted their questions. Um, we'll definitely do this again down the road. I appreciate you guys watching another video. Hopefully everybody has a great Sunday. Don't forget to go grab yourself a limited edition Skylabs black tie-dye t-shirt. If, if you like the shirt, definitely grab one now. And we'll see you in the next video. Really appreciate it. Thank you, have a great one.